Welcome to the 162nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host for today, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a brief overview of my weekend predictions and our weekly look at the MLB with a little hint of some uh, early trade deadline news in there too. Uh, but let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions. I went 3-1 and one this week, which brought me to a 436 and 307 overall record. A 58.7 winning percentage. Uh, I got that record because the Padres took two of three from the Mets. That was the only loss of the week for me. The rest of them wins where the Astros swept the Mariners after the Mariners, uh, well, they carried their 14-game winning streak into the All-Star break, but uh, the Astros were able to end that very uh, easily and continue the momentum for the rest of the series. The Blue Jays swept the Red Sox. A lot of things happened in that series that we'll get to in a second. And the Yankees took two of three from the Orioles. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll start with that Padres series. This was really a series of the Mets' bats just not coming out of the All-Star break right at all. Uh, they scored one run in both of the first two games. They just weren't really able to get anything going. Uh, you know, they had more hits than the Padres in Game 2 of the series. And they uh, only had four in the first game of the series. But, you know, just failing to push runners across... Uh, the, the pitching was great for them throughout the series. Uh, San Diego scored four, two, and five, and the five in, well, out of the five in the in the last game of the series, three of them were in the ninth inning when the Mets had entered the ninth inning eight, up, to, up eight to two anyway, so it's not like those uh, runs were very important. So great pitching by the Mets throughout the series, but the Padres able to capitalize off of the Mets just not really having it all on offense, so... Uh, you know, the Mets go cold on offense, the Padres take advantage, and uh, just because of a 4-1 to and a 2-1 to win on Friday and Saturday, the Padres are able to take this series over the Mets. Uh, the Astros, they swept the Mariners, as I said. Uh, that one, honestly, I did not expect that to be a sweep. I thought this was the most risky pick I had this week was picking against the Mariners, but uh, look, the Astros, talk about well-pitched, they held the Mariners, who obviously were hot for so long, to two runs on Friday, one on Saturday, and then they got five on Sunday, but in a similar fashion. Uh, three of them in the seventh inning, two of them in the eighth inning, really just to make the game close again. The Astros had taken a 6 to nothing lead in the final game of the series while Seattle was trying to avoid the sweep, and uh, they made it 6-3 to in the seventh, but then the Astros pushed it back uh, to, eight to, to an 8-3 to lead, and then the Mariners made it 8-5, to but the game was still uh, not in doubt, really, for the Astros. But uh, in the first two games of the series, you had a great, uh, well-pitched game by Jose Urquidy, who uh, held the Mariners just to two runs total, and I think he was actually, yeah, no, he only allowed one of them himself. The other one came for the bullpen, uh, and they won that game 5-2. to And then in the second game of the series, Justin Verlander uh, became the league's first 13-game winner, with seven scoreless innings, or sorry, seven innings pitched with one run given up. Uh, that run coming in the last inning, actually, off a solo home run by Carlos Santana. And then the Astros got one insurance run after it was uh, their lead was cut down to 2-1. to one. They got one insurance run. They won 3-1. to one. That was the end of the series. And then, as I mentioned, they still were able to complete the sweep by getting that win on Sunday. Uh, very important win in terms of the division because now... The Astros are 13 games up on Seattle uh, in their division. Very, very important that they were able to create that separation this weekend. Well, that extra separation. They were already up a pretty good amount there. Uh, but 
look, all things pointing in the right direction for the Astros for now, and uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens as the season continues on. I think really right now, if you're looking at the league as a whole, I think the Astros, the Dodgers, and the Yankees are the three teams that cut above the rest. You could throw the Braves into that mix just because of how well they've been playing recently, but you know, at the same time, I keep hearing every single day that today's the day they they catch up to the Mets, and they still haven't. So uh, uh, until they take over first place, I, I really don't think I can put you in the top, top tier of the league without being at least first in your division. So the Braves, not quite there yet, but definitely knocking right on that door. And you know, they're the defending champions. So that 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 obviously factors into it too, that uh, they're still the ones that are on top for now. So someone has to come and beat them. Uh, they are on a title defense. So uh, that's important. But let's talk about one of those teams that's in contention too. The Blue Jays were heavy, heavy. I mean, I guess I'll say people in Vegas loved them before the season. Maybe not so much now, the way uh, things have unraveled for the Blue Jays. But, you know, th- they're coming around again, I feel like. Um, so I-, I will say this sweep over the Red Sox was very convincing of them going in the right direction. But I'm not so sure it was all good Blue Jays. And I think a lot of it was just bad Red Sox. I mean, they now, in their last three games before Saturday... Um, they gave up 14 to the Yankees, they gave up 13 to the Yankees, and then on Friday, the Blue Jays scored 28 runs, including 11 in the fifth inning, there was an inside-the-park grand slam that was part of a seven-run third inning, I'm not gonna try to describe this game, if you wanna figure it out, go watch the highlights or something, this game was just insane, and that wasn't even the worst part of the weekend, because then, the Blue Jays would proceed to score... Uh, pretty much all of their runs on Sunday to complete the sweep off of errors. The The Red Sox committed three errors in a row. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's hard to explain. This team is just, the team is falling apart when it comes to the Red Sox. Uh, Devers, who's on the IL right now. Then you have Chris Sale, who broke his finger in his first start coming back from an injury. Uh, and that start was against the Yankees, and they lost that game too. That was in New York, obviously, before the All-Star break. But look... This week just just says it all. I mean, th- this team is just not playing well right now. Alex Cora said himself, we're just not playing a good brand of baseball. It's there's too many errors. There's and by the way, the grand the inside the park grand slam. If you haven't seen it, you should just look at it. But that is one of those plays where you really question why baseball still has the rule in place that the ball has to touch a glove for it to be called an error because that play was absolutely an error on center fielder Jaron Duran, who then didn't chase after the ball, too. There's a bunch of stuff going on in the in the series. Just just look at the highlights of the series, honestly. It's hard to recap. They were just... The Red Sox just played awful, and the Blue Jays took full advantage of it to sweep them. Uh, so things are on the up and up for the Blue Jays now. Ten games above five they they're, they're playing pretty well, obviously. Half of that because of the Red Sox, but uh, they also have some good news that I'll get to later, actually, when we talk about the NL Central, even though... Those two seem unrelated, but trust me, there's a relation there. Uh, but the Red Sox now take on the Guardians for a four-game series. That'll be pretty important for them because the Guardians are another team really floating around where they are in the wildcard race. That'll be very important. And then they play the Brewers after that for three games. So they And, and then the Astros actually after that for three games. So look, they got to get it together because they are playing some good teams and these teams are not going to let up. They are going to be looking to make some statements over a good team that's in the wild card race. And when you're the Brewers, you're looking at another team who's a good team, but is struggling just like you. And that's, they probably believe that's an opportunity to build some confidence. So 
the Red Sox have to respond and they have to respond soon because I, I mean, you look at the schedule, it's possible the Guardians take three of four and the Brewers take two of three and all of a sudden, by August 2nd, the Red Sox are at 500 now if they go two and five in those games. I, I don't know if they, they might even be sellers at the deadline if they're three under. I don't really think so just because of the new format. I think that is this team's saving grace is that they can go through this slump and still make the wild card just on the basis of how the playoffs work this year. And we'll get into that in a second and talk about how far back they are and how many teams are ahead of them. But in a prior year, I think it would be automatic that if this team didn't take both of these upcoming series, they would be uh, sellers at the deadline. Although we'll see what happens now with obviously that change. But let's move on from that to the Yankees and the Orioles. This was just the Aaron Judge show pretty much. I mean, the Orioles put up a good fight. They're still playing good baseball. They they looked competitive throughout the series. Um, they came back to win a game over the Yankees. They were down three to nothing. They won six to three on Saturday. That was how they salvaged their one game of the series. And you know the first game of the series was a seven to six win for the Yankees. So it got a little nervous for uh, for the Yankees in the late innings of the game. Baltimore made them nervous, um, but at the same time, then on Sunday the Yankees won six to nothing. So they closed it out in good fashion. They wanted to make sure they left Camden Yards with in a good mood, let's just say, if you're the Yankees. But uh, look, happy with my predictions this week. Looking forward to continuing it next week, hopefully, and uh, keep getting the win percentage up, right? That's all I can ask for. And uh, speaking of those predictions, they will be posted next week for next weekend's games on Thursday. Uh, but let's move on now to the rest of the MLB, talk about the standings. In first place in the AL East, where we always start off, of course, we have the New York Yankees at a 680 winning percentage, 66 and 31 on the season. Why did I mention the winning percentage? Well, because now that's not the top winning percentage in the league anymore. I think you could take a guess as to who it is. Maybe your guess isn't right because there's really a logjam at the top here. There's only a separation of uh, 681 to 667 for the top three teams in the MLB currently. Um, and we'll get to who that mystery team is with 681 winning percentage soon-ish. Uh, but look... For now, we'll talk about it. The Yankees, second best record in all of baseball. Best record in the AL still over the Astros. So, you know, it's not the Astros now. I think that probably tells you who it is. Uh, but the Yankees, they're only 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. Their run differential is now plus 200, which is a ridiculous number. Uh, and they've reached that mark pretty early in the season. But, uh, you know, the Blue Jays have, play, have been playing well enough that the Yankees aren't really... Uh, they're not really just continuing to bury teams in this division anymore. Some teams are... I wouldn't, I think it's bad to say starting to catch up to them, but they're closing the gap ever so slightly. And uh, it doesn't seem that this division is as much of a guarantee as it once was because they have started off the second half slow and they've started off poorly against the Astros. They did okay against the Orioles, but I feel like after getting that, well, two games in one day series sweep against the Astros uh, or getting swept in that little mini series, I feel like they needed a better response than just sticking in a one-run game against the Orioles and winning the series for two out of the three games. I feel like they wanted to really make a statement, sweep the Orioles, and uh, they weren't able to do that. So maybe they're starting to slip up a little bit. Um, on the other hand, in second place, the Blue Jays, not slipping up at all, 53-43 and 43 on the season, 12 and a half games back of the Yankees. They're doing better in terms of uh, their injury situation. They really haven't had too many major injuries all season long, but it really feels like you don't hear this team in the news as much for, uh, or being talked about as much for having a lot of injured guys as you do with some other teams. Um, but interesting discussion about the Blue Jays is that now 
They've won six in a row. They're eight and two in their last ten. So, twelve and a half games is still big. It's not insurmountable. But I will say, adding a stat in, there are two teams in the league who had ten game division leads at the All Star break. Those that that big of a lead in a division at the All Star break has never been um, lost. So it's interesting. And obviously, the Yankees are one of those teams, and the other team is the Dodgers. Uh, not even the Astros had a ten game lead at the break, but um, well, they were close to it, though. They they were really close. I think they were up nine games or nine and a half at the break, but not quite at 10, so it doesn't count. Um, but the Yankees, again, knowing those odds, it's hard to see them losing this division, but at the same time, it's looking more possible than before. A lot of people think the Yankees are due for a regression. I mean, Matt Carpenter's stat line itself will, is a good enough example of maybe some regression to be coming for this team. Uh, some bullpen issues, obviously, the biggest issue is Michael King, who was a very high-leverage reliever for the Yankees, kind of grew into that role this year, and uh, he won't be playing for the rest of the season. Pretty important for them because Aroldis Chapman has not lived up to, uh, well, you could say his contract, but also just his general status uh, as a closer. He really has not been that high-leverage guy this year, and now that they lose Michael King, who would become kind of one of their three main high-leverage guys, it's really all on Clay Holmes at this point to close games down in the rest of the bullpen Maybe get some arms back. Maybe move some arms like Domingo Herman into the in, into the bullpen. Maybe go late relief with them. I don't know what their solution is, but you're definitely starting to see some cracks in the armor when it comes to the Yankees. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a little bit of a regression. Still would be surprised for them to not win this division, though. But moving on from that discussion at the top, let's go to the Blue Jays. They are 13 games back, although they are seven three seven and three in their last 10 games. Uh, they lost two in a row over the weekend. And they're a half game back of the Blue Jays, and they also got some more bad news. Uh, as today it was revealed that Mike Zunino and Kevin Kiermeyer will be out for the season, both of them. Uh, there were previously talks that they might get them back for the season. Obviously, they were on the IL, I think the 60-day IL, and we knew that they wouldn't be back for a while, but it wasn't confirmed that they would be out for the season. Now that has been confirmed. Uh, that's, not, that's not a good thing for the Rays in any way, shape, or form, but... You know, at the same time, they got Brandon Lau back fairly recently, right before the All-Star break. They have been getting somewhat healthier, but that's not the news you want to hear. You never know what's going to happen with Tyler Glass now, so we don't know. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with this team. Their health is not great, and uh, we'll just have to see uh, how it can hold up when it comes to the postseason, or really how it holds up if they get into the race, and if they stay in the race and win that race to the postseason in the first place. The Rays will be a very interesting team. Uh, at the trade deadline to kind of see what they do, see what their approach is. But enough about the Rays. I talked about their slump already, but let's put more numbers on it. The Red Sox now at 48 and 48, only a half game ahead of the Orioles. They might be in last place in this division. Literally by the end of today, there's a good chance of it. I mean, the Orioles could take a game over the Rays, and if the Guardians are able to beat the Red Sox, then all of a sudden, that is true. The Orioles currently sitting at 47 and 48, uh, 18 games back of the Yankees, while the Red Sox are 17 and a half back of the Yankees. But the Red Sox have lost five in a row now. They are one and nine in their last ten. A minus fifty-four run differential over that five-game losing streak is the worst in all of the modern era of baseball. It is the worst since the eighteen hundreds, actually, because the last team to have that bad of a run differential in a five-game span was the eighteen ninety-nine Cleveland Spiders. Uh, I'm sure if you watch ESPN, you saw that spot that stat yesterday after. The Padres-Mets game, it's just ridiculous to really think about 
being as bad as, as well, frankly, the history of the Cleveland Spiders is a little bit complicated, and there's uh, some, some things going on there too, but just to think that something hasn't been done in terms of being bad since 1899, and the team who's trying to compete for the playoffs is the one breaking that record is just, it's crazy to think about. Uh, but then you have the Orioles, as I said, 18 games back, a half game back of the Red Sox. They're in the wild card hunt right now, but not at the top of it, obviously. There's a lot of teams in that conversation right now. Uh, but Orioles, you know, we don't know what they're going to do with the trade deadline. Something interesting that I saw was a quote from a reporter that said that Trey Mancini is treating this series as if it's his last at Camden Yards. That is something you don't like to see if you're an Orioles fan. Uh, obviously, the most notable player, I would say, in their franchise right now. So uh, you don't like you don't like that, but um, he he's kind of the core of that team. He's definitely a part of it. Um, but overall, I don't want to see them sell at the trade deadline. But I might. I I I would not be surprised if um, they end up you know trading guys who are at the end of their contracts and really going with prospects to kind of start the rebuild and figure out if they have, if some of the prospects aren't panning out, if they have holes that they want to address in free agency, whether through minor or major pickups, and then kind of go from there next year, knowing that they had the progress they made this year in this little stretch. Maybe they just want to see if that stretch was a fluke or not. Maybe they want to play it out for a few more games and then decide, but we barely have a week left for the trade deadline. So, I mean, you got to figure it out pretty soon, uh, but it's interesting. This division really could be an active division, uh, it could be a very active division, both ways, buying and selling. Throughout the trade deadline, This will be th these five teams are going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, what happens with the Orioles and the Red Sox might even help set the market for other players if, you know, you got bigger bigger guys getting traded from a team like the Red Sox. You think of Xander Bogarts maybe even getting traded because he's on the last year of his deal and he wasn't able to negotiate that extension with the Red Sox, and it seems like the Red Sox gave one to him, but he didn't really like their numbers. So, uh, you know, he could be a trade target for other teams. And if the Red Sox have a bad week and they really don't see the opportunity to compete, they might just end the year. I mean, they might just kind of mail it in and, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, I think I've spent enough time on the AL East. Let's move on to the AL Central. As we know, this division hasn't been, uh, you know, the most interesting to talk about. Uh, but, you know, still worth mentioning. The 52-44 and 44 Minnesota Twins currently in the lead. Uh, they have won two in a row. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Uh, the Guardians are three games back of them at 48-46. and 46. They are 6-4 and four in their last 10, despite a two-game losing streak. At the hands of the Chicago White Sox, who are in third, uh, four games back of the Guardians, and or sorry, of the Twins, only one back of the Guardians now. They've won two in a row, as I said, and 7-3 and three in their last 10, so they're starting to heat up a little bit. And then you have the Royals, actually, who are a half game ahead of the Tigers after winning the last two games of their series against the Rays uh, at 13 and a half games back in the division at 38 and 57. And then the Tigers at 38 and 58, 14 games back of the Twins for the division lead. They have lost three in a row. They are two and eight in their last 10. This division could have uh, a few buyers. I really, I really feel like the White Sox, just with how they've structured their team, they have to be always trying to win at this point. Um, and the Guardians, really, you never know what their approach might be as a small market team, but they might even try to make a big splash, maybe the big splash, and go for Juan Soto. It would be an interesting idea. Um, and then you have the Twins, who probably, like the White Sox, will be buyers. 
While the Royals definitely major sellers of the deadline, Andrew Benintendi has been probably the most talked about trade target other than Juan Soto this season. Um, and then the Tigers, I honestly expect them to do nothing because they're not in a position that their little win-now mentality will uh, be carried out this, effectively this season. But I really don't feel like they built that team and did their signings in the offseason last year just to be sellers at the deadline this year. It just doesn't feel like that would be a smart move, but they could be sellers. They're way more likely to be sellers than buyers at the deadline this year, I will say that. Uh, but overall in this division, you're really looking at the who who can be in the wild card. You might have a team in the wild card. You might not. Uh, as it currently stands right now, there are no teams in the wild card from the AL Central, uh, but they are definitely in the race. And uh, even the Twins, if they were to not win this division, would be kind of in the thick of things when it comes to the wild card chase. Uh, the Mariners would be kind of right by them if the Guardians or the White Sox were able to take over that. But uh, speaking of the Mariners, look, I know the AL Central is uh, boring. It, it's just kind of hard to talk about. So I'll move on to the AL West. The Astros, uh, their division, they have the Mariners in it. That's why I said speaking of the Mariners. The Astros are 64-32, and 32, the third best record in MLB. Uh, just ahead of the Mets. Well, not just ahead of the Mets. Pretty squarely ahead of the Mets. And uh, just behind the Yankees for the second best. They have won five games in a row and are 7-3 and three in their last 10 after that sweep of the Mariners and a little mini two-game sweep at home in that doubleheader against the Yankees. So the Astros in a very good position. The Mariners, although they're 13 games back, they're still 7-3 and three in their last 10 despite the three-game losing streak because obviously they were on that 14-game winning streak before that. One of the hottest teams in baseball up until this series. Obviously at this point not anymore, although we'll see if they can carry forward the momentum that they had before the break into the next series. A big thing for them has been Julio Rodriguez has not played uh, since the All-Star break, which is not good news for them. Uh, and then, you know, the Astros, definitely one of the hotter teams in baseball, but I think that team that has now taken over the best record in baseball obviously is the hottest, and we'll get to them in a second. But the Mariners sitting at 13 games back, still not exactly, um, you know, they're, they're not really going to compete for this division, to be quite honest, but they are squarely in the wildcard chase uh, or in the wildcard race, chase, whatever you want to call it, actually in position to be in the playoffs right now with many teams knocking on the door of the Mariners in their current position at third in the wildcard. We'll get to the wildcard in a second, actually. But for now, let's keep talking about the AL West, where the Rangers are 20 games back in third. They are 3-7 and seven in their last 10, 43-51 on the season. The most important team here is the are the Angels, who are rivaling the Tigers for biggest disappointment this season, and maybe the Red Sox too, and maybe even the Giants you could throw into that, that argument now. But the Angels definitely out there, probably number one on the list for now, because they are 23 and a half games back of their division, uh, or in their division of their division leaders. The Astros, they are 2-8 and eight in their last 10. They didn't even get Shohei to carry them to win this week as the Braves were able to beat them, but they finally got a lead. I think they hadn't led in 45 innings or something like that up until Taylor Ward hit a leadoff home run uh, against the Braves. So, look, they're just having a rough season. There's no other way to put it. And um, so are the A's. The A's are 35-63. and 63. Despite being 6-4 and four in their last 10, they are still 30 games back in this division, just way far out of the race. But, uh, look, that's kind of all I have on the AL West. I think we know where every team stands in terms of the trade deadline. The Angels are kind of the wild card because you have a lot of people saying that 
Maybe they might even look into an Otani trade, do some preliminary searching and what people would give up for him. Um, but at the same time, they have Otani, they have Trout. They really shouldn't be sellers at the deadline, but they're so far under 500 that there's no way they're buyers at the deadline. So at the same time, they're kind of just a big question mark. Maybe they just stand pat and do nothing. Um, but then you have the Mariners, probably going to be buyers. They, they've they even kind of thrown themselves into the Juan Soto sweepstakes. Uh, and the Astros, they're always the team who we don't think is going to do anything and ends up getting the most in terms of additions. They always get a few bullpen arms. They always, always, always make trades that make them better. And most of the time, they improve more than any other team does at the deadline because one team is chasing the blockbuster trade and they're just making six or seven smaller moves that in the end amass to more, amount to more value uh, amassed for their team than the team who gets the big deal. I mean, you could even make that argument last year that while the Dodgers got Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, the guys the Astros got to add to their bullpen um, ended up making the biggest difference of them all, getting them to the World Series, even though they didn't win it. I mean, obviously, I think the Braves are the team that really won the deadline when you consider that they did win the World Series and it was really behind that entirely remodeled outfield that they got in the middle of last year. But still, worth discussing the fact that the Astros are normally that team that lingers around and you don't really think is going to do anything. Then all of a sudden, they normally are winners at the deadline for sure. And then you have the A's who are obviously going to be sellers and the Rangers probably won't do much either. Uh, but then... Let's move on to the AL wildcard now. Currently sitting at the top of the wildcard are the Toronto Blue Jays. They are two games up of the Mariners, who are in third. And in between those two teams, you have the Rays, who are 52-43, and 43, one and a half up on the Mariners for that final spot, uh, keeping their place in second, but also a half game behind the Blue Jays for the top spot in the wildcard. Then you have the Guardians, two games back, the White Sox and the Red Sox, three games back, and the Baltimore Orioles, three and a half games back. I wouldn't be surprised if the Blue Jays, Rays, and Mariners are the wild card just based on how the season has gone, but I really still don't think you can count out either of the two teams from the Central, not only in the wild card, but also in their division, and uh, you get, you have to like what you've seen from the Orioles recently. What they do at the trade deadline will probably decide if they're in this race or not, though, and uh, we might even stop talking about them entirely if they are trading away guys like Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander uh, when it comes to the deadline, but... Let's move on from the AL then, and let's talk about the NL, where we actually had a little bit of trade deadline action here, starting with the New York Mets, who are in first place in the NL East, the second best record in the NL. Uh, they traded for Daniel Vogelback from the Pirates. They traded a minor league uh, pitcher for him, Colin Holderman, I believe was his name. And then they also got Michael Perez from the Pirates for everybody's favorite player, Cash Considerations. Um, why is this important? Well, it shows that the Mets are trying to be aggressive and they're trying to be aggressive early. Daniel Vogelback even scored their, uh, an insurance run for them yesterday, actually broke up a no hitter by Joe Musgrove in the final game of that series. So uh, he, he had a pretty good debut for the Mets. Um, but I, I think that's not the end of it for them. I just think that it's interesting to mention that they were really the first team to kind of make a real move. Um, obviously Carlos Santana was an acquisition that the Mariners made, but it's really under the radar. It really happened just because Ty France was injured, but it's interesting to see if he'll continue to be in that lineup anyway, just because he provides veteran presence and he is a good hitter still. Um, but then behind the Mets, you have the team who keeps saying they're going to take over this division and still hasn't the Braves at 58 and 39. They probably will at some point, honestly, I, I, just because the Mets are still in the lead. I'm going to still say they are the, the favorites to win the division, but 
if the Braves take the lead next week, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they're trending in the right direction. They still have a great record, although bad news is that Adam Duvall will be out for the season, but they might still get Ozzie Albies back and even Mike Soroka, who hasn't pitched in a while, so they still might get reinforcements despite the fact that it seems like they're kind of having some injury issues, and uh, Michael Harris obviously has been really, really good for them coming up as a prospect, Um, but the Braves will definitely be active at the deadline. We'll see who they get, what they get. We'll see, I mean, and also you talk about the World Series if you want to go that far. They won last year without Acuna. No offense to Adam Duvall, but if they can win without Acuna, they can easily win without Adam Duvall. I mean, that it's pretty simple. They they built their franchise around Ronald Acuna. He is their franchise player at this point now that Freddie Freeman is with the Dodgers. So that's not... If they won last year, they can definitely still win again. Um, but that injury still does definitely hurt them. But they're 6-4 and four in their last 10, although they're still one and a half games back of the Mets. But then you have the really big slump that's happening in this division. The Philadelphia Phillies are now 49-46. and 46. They are 3-7 and seven in their last 10. The only games they won were that sweep over the Marlins that they completed a few weekends ago. Uh, but they're just playing badly right now. There's no other way to put it, and they're really putting themselves in danger of missing the playoffs in that wildcard race that will be a tight race. And uh, they are playing the Braves this week, so it's time to get a few important wins in the division, I think. I mean, they got to step it up at some point, and that time would be a good time to do it right about now. Uh, then you have the Marlins, who are 45-50. and 50. They're 13 and a half games back in the division, 4-6 and six in their last 10. If they're buyers at the trade deadline, they could maybe make a push for the wild card. If they kind of just stay with what they have, I don't really think they're going to be a major player in that conversation, although you never know. Uh, And if they're sellers, they're obviously going to be out of that conversation entirely. But I don't really know what they should do, honestly. I don't know what their approach should be. Obviously, if you're the Phillies, the Braves, the Mets, you're dumping everything into this year that you can um, because you tried to put yourself in a position to win. So you got to try your best to continue that position. If you're the Nationals, however... Your very obvious focus is to trade Juan Soto. I mean, you got to get the best package possible, try to trade him out of the division, and just leave it at that. I mean, if you if you have to deal with him being on the Cardinals in two years or being on the Dodgers in two years in the playoffs, well, at least you got from 32 and 65 back to the playoffs. That would be just fine for them. They're two and eight in their last ten. They don't have any chance this year. They need to get those trades done. Uh, even Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz, I would argue, they could trade. I don't exactly remember if Nelson Cruz signed a long-term deal with them or just a one- or a two-year deal. I think it was something, it's definitely something small because Nelson Cruz is definitely getting up there when it comes to age, but you never know who they might trade. I don't think he's under team control for so long that they wouldn't trade him. Uh, and obviously Juan Soto is under team control for two and a half more years, but because he denied that extension, they are probably going to trade him. But let's move on from the NL East to the NL Central. Some interesting news in this division that has nothing to do with well, games that have happened yet, but some hypothetical news. Uh, first, let's get to who's in first place. You got the Brewers at 53 and 43. They've won three in a row, but they're five and five in their last 10. The important team to talk about here in hypotheticals, the Cardinals. Uh, they have a lot of pieces that they could trade for Juan Soto. They have a lot of young prospects. They have a lot of good young players that aren't even considered prospects anymore on their roster. Dylan Carlson, uh, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, and a lot of them are also outfield prospects. And guess what? Juan Soto is going to take one of their going to take the playing time away from them anyway. So they could be a very major player when it comes to Juan Soto. I, I think that's been put out there before, and I really don't think people are stressing it enough 
they probably do have the best package other than a team like the Dodgers or like the Yankees who have great farm systems and great young players as well. But I don't know if the Dodgers would be willing to part with that with that with that uh, with that prospect capital, I guess you could define it as. And same with the Yankees when they've kind of been doing that for many years now when trying to compete. The Cardinals have not been really that active at the trade deadline in terms of trading away major prospects and they've been able to keep them. Um, and now they're also playing for them. So it'll be interesting to see because the Cardinals, as I said, they haven't done that yet and they definitely have the most room for error to do it because they still have a lot of depth of prospects too, not just top level prospects. Uh, then you have the Pirates who are 13 games back in this division at 40 and 56. They're not really in this conversation at all for the division. They are already trading what they can trade at the trade deadline. We already saw that. Daniel Vogelback is gone. Michael Perez is gone. Um, we'll see. We'll see what keeps happening with this team. I, I mean, they're they're trade. They're definitely sellers at the deadline. We all know that. But um, we'll see how many people they end up shipping out. Then you have the Cubs, 14 and a half games back, 38 and 57. They've won four in a row, but they did their fire sale last year of players. I really don't expect them to trade much this year because they don't really have much to trade. Ian Happ might be a guy that could be a possible uh, guy who gets traded. You know, he got familiar with the Dodgers clubhouse and some other players throughout the NL over the All-Star weekend. So who knows? Maybe maybe he's in trade talks. Uh, nothing for sure, but definitely a possibility. And then you have the Reds who are 36 and 58, 16 games back. They're six and four in their last 10. And I'm going to circle back to second place in this division. I talked about one hypothetical. That hypothetical is Juan Soto. Here's another thing that's going on. Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt are both unvaccinated and won't be playing in Toronto this weekend. You have to think that the front office is just going to pretend like this week doesn't exist. They have to ignore that this week is, exists because if they lose two out of three or both of the two, I don't know how many games they're playing in Toronto, but um, whatever happens in that series, they have to ignore because uh, it's just you're you're missing your MVP candidate and you're missing the other guy who's probably top five in the MVP race right now. You, you're probably not going to win without them, and you have to be able to face that and understand that that's a very small sample size. They can't overreact to it. I think the Red Sox, honestly, overreacting might be a good thing for them, but if the Cardinals are overreacting to this small of a stretch, it will be a problem for them. They should be buyers of the deadline, especially because even though they're barely above 500, they're still only two and a half games back of the Brewers. The Brewers are the weakest division leader in all of baseball outside of the Minnesota Twins, and the Twins barely have a worse winning percentage than them either. So, uh, look, the Cardinals have a chance not only in the wild card, but also to win this weak division that they're in. Uh, they got to be all in this year when you consider how good of a season Paul Goldschmidt is having. It just has to be the, what they're doing this year. Uh, but I'll move on now from the team that I've been foreshadowing about the whole, the whole time. The new best team in the league, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They are 64 and 30. 681 winning percentage, eight games in a row. They've won nine and one in their last 10. They are 19, I believe 18 and two in their last 20, maybe even 19 and two at this point. They finished their first four game sweep of the Giants since 1995 this weekend, burying the Giants in the division. There's nothing but good things heading the Dodgers way other than the fact that Fernando Tatis is returning for the Padres. But as they look in the rearview mirror, the Padres are pretty far back. They're 11 and a half games back. Uh, as I said, no team has ever squandered, I'll just use the word, a 10-game lead at the All-Star break in their division. Dodgers were up by 10 before. 
now an 11 and a half game lead in the division. The Padres just five and five in their last 10. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if they, uh, what, what the Padres do at the deadline. If they are a team that acquires Juan Soto, that might massively backfire for them because they have kind of been relying on some of their young talent to, uh, you know, make up for the fact that Tatis has been out and some other issues that they've been having recently. Uh, they've been using them as platoon players. You know, they, they've been using their young players, CJ Abrams, Mackenzie Gore. Uh, they have a good package to give to the to the to the Nationals, but I don't really know if you know, you know Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, and Manny Machado would be one of the best trios in the league, if not the best. But I still don't know if the rest of the roster, other than the pitching staff, can really hold up for them to be a World Series winning team uh, just by adding Juan Soto. And I think unless they make that extension with him and make it so that. Machado, Tatis, and Soto are a core for 10-plus years, then you'd be talking about a good move. But if they're not going to do that extension, that wouldn't be a smart move, honestly, in my opinion. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Dodgers fan who doesn't want Juan Soto to go to the Padres. I, I honestly just don't think it would be that good of a move. Um, also, because chasing a division when you're down 12 games just doesn't really seem that smart. Uh, while the other teams in the, in the rest of the NL are really, really close to the division lead, Look, the Braves are only down one and a half. The Cardinals are down two and, two and a half. And then you obviously have the division leaders in those divisions that will be major players in that discussion. But for now, you look at the fact that the Dodgers are just really dominant. I mean, again, as I said, best record in baseball heading into today. And uh, it's great for them. And it's not so great for the San Francisco Giants, who got swept over the weekend at Dodger Stadium. Dodgers came out of the All-Star break hot. San Francisco Giants, not so much. 16 and a half games back now at 48 and 47 on the season. Still actually a better run differential than the Padres, despite being much worse when it comes to the record. But they're now in danger of missing the wild card. They are kind of falling out of the race a little bit. Um, but we'll get to the wild card in a second. You then have the Colorado Rockies, who are 43 and 53. Uh, they're 22 games back in the division. They've lost four in a row, though. Then you have the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are 42 and 53. 22 and a half games back in the division of the Dodgers. And look, we all know what's going to happen in this division. The Dodgers are going to be major buyers. The Padres, despite it maybe not being the best decision for this year alone, will be probably major buyers at the deadline. The Giants, that's a question. We really don't know what's going to happen with them. And then the Rockies and the Diamondbacks should be sellers, but I don't know how many pieces they have. Uh, the Diamondbacks have really been playing with a lot of young players all year long, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's just not much for them to trade away. Uh, but then, let's move on to the wild card, I guess. I think we're done with the NL West. It's not really a competitive race as of right now, although obviously the teams behind the Dodgers definitely have the talent to catch up to them. Uh, but the Dodgers, probably the hottest team in baseball right now, so it's a tall task. But these teams are still present in the wild card race. First, got to start with the Braves, who have the best record of a non-division leader in all of baseball, so they are seven games up on that third spot in the wild card. That third spot belongs to the St. Louis Cardinals for now, while the Padres sit three games ahead of the Cardinals, they have a little bit of a cushion. I think the Braves and Padres are very, very likely playoff teams. I don't think really anybody's disputing that. Uh, but then you have the Cardinals in that third spot. The Phillies just one game back despite their skid. The Giants just two games back despite their skid. And the Marlins only five games back. So as I said, don't be surprised that they're buyers of the deadline. Don't look at the fact that they're five games under 500. Look at the fact that they actually are just five games back in this race. If they can get a lot of progress done in terms of trades, they might be able to make a little bit of a run. And I, I just think the one issue for them is that 
their division is so strong with the Braves. I mean, the Phillies are one of the better third place teams in the league, even though they're on a slump recently. The Braves and the Mets are just so good at the top of this division. It's hard to think if you're the Marlins that you can compete for a wild card spot with teams like the Braves and the Padres, who are just really good overall rosters, um, and then compete with a team like the Cardinals, who you'd be trying to shave the, the divisional lead off of, and yet you have the Cardinals playing in a weak division where they have the Pirates, the Cubs, and the Reds, as opposed, and then really just themselves and the Brewers. So there's only two good teams in that division, and the Cardinals are one of them. Whereas the Marlins, not one of the best three in the division. They have three above 500 teams to play th for the rest of their division. So that's why they're also a question mark. But overall, the wildcard race will be interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the Giants can make it back to the playoffs after they were the one seed just last year. And then you have the uh, the Phillies who, you know, they've been, uh, you can say what they want, what you want about them, but their fans always want the best out of their players, and uh, they haven't really gotten that recently in terms of just overall, like not even just this year, but they haven't made the playoffs in a while, and I think everybody's frustrated about that, and maybe they felt this was the year, and, you know, things have just fallen apart with injuries and stuff like that, but uh, it, it, well, I wouldn't be surprised. They, they have a strong core when Bryce Harper gets back. They might get back into this race. They might end this slump, and it'll be an interesting race. I really feel like the Phillies and the Cardinals are the major players in terms of Whoever gets more value at the trade deadline probably ends up beating out the other for this last spot. It will be a very interesting race down to the last minute. But now we're down to the last minute of this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. So please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, August 1st, where we will once again take a look at my weekend predictions and look back at MLB action again. And then also have the trade deadline approaching on, the, on August 2nd, so... We will have a lot of trades done by then and a lot more to come uh, the day after that. But in the meantime, please be sure to check out my additional content, including my predictions for next weekend's games, which will be on Thursday, and then my my power rankings, which will be updated tomorrow for the MLB. All that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.